Hey, Parker. Hey, Carrie. How goes it here in February? February. Uh, you know, February, it's a hard month. It's still the deep of winter, and uh, we're all kind of looking forward to springtime, but it's not quite on the horizon just yet. Exactly so, and I think that's why we chose for today a topic that's dear to both of our hearts, which is what we need is here, hope, hard times, and the human possibility. So welcome to the Growing Edge. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and habit between us, and to us and how we live between the So our topic today is what we need is here, hope, hard times, and the human possibility, which not coincidentally is the title of a, of a stage show we do, a song and spoken word event that folks can read about on our website. But we're not going to be talking about the show. We're going to be talking about the idea that what we need is here and what a challenging idea that is in a culture where we're really taught to look outside of ourselves and outside of our relationships uh, for the help we need, for the resources we need, for what we think is required to get along, and especially in hard times. And as we do that, we sort of overlook the secret that's hidden in plain sight, which is that we have so much resourcefulness within us as human beings, in the human heart, the human spirit, the human soul, and between us as human beings, in our relationships, in communities large and small. All of this is a resource that we so easily miss in our culture, but I think what we'd like to do today is call people back to it. Yes, and, and this, this idea of, of what we need is here, you know, that, that it's not out there somewhere. So today we'll be kind of talking about that concept. Uh, the show and, and this whole idea, the, the phrase, what we need is here, actually came from a Wendell Berry poem, a really beautiful poem called The Wild Geese. Right. Um, perhaps we could start with that poem. Um, yeah, would you, a, read it, would you read it for us? And then maybe I'll, I'll read it again just so people can have a chance to absorb it. Okay. Um, so this is called The Wild Geese by Wendell Berry. Horseback on Sunday morning. Harvest over, we taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp, sweet, of summer's end. In time's maze over fall fields, we name names that went west from here, names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find there the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's morrow. Geese appear high over us, pass and the sky closes, abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith, what we need is here. And we pray not for a new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear, what we need is here. Mm, what a beautiful poem. And how yes, beautifully read. There's so much in there that... I want to talk about, but let's give folks a chance to hear it one more time to take in the beauty of it and the, and the detail of it. Mm -hmm. 
So the Wild Geese by Wendell Berry. Horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over. We taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over fall fields, we name names that went west from here, names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith, what we need is here. And we pray, not for new earth or heaven. We pray, not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear, to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here. Yes, you know, that's such a, a beautiful poem, and, and I know it's been very inspiring to both of us. I love the way Wendell Berry lands that poem with what we need is here, and I guess to fully understand what he means by that, we have to look back in the poem at all those references he makes to very particular things that he's seeing on this horseback ride uh, at the end of harvest out in the fields of his his farm in, in, in Kentucky. I, I, the first thing that occurs to me is he talks about, we taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp sweet of summer's end. So he's, he's really talking about the abundance of nature and the way nature feeds us, I think both literally and, and metaphorically, uh, not only um, food that's nourishing to our bodies, but it, nature feeds us with beauty. Nature feel, feeds us with that sense of abundance we get when the fields are overflowing with crops uh, just before the harvest happens, and, and then the harvest bringing it all in uh, for for use by hu human beings in the nourishment of their own bodies and souls. And then he goes on to um, to say, we name names that went west from here, um, names that rest on graves. So he's talking about the ancestors. Mm. He's talking about what came, um, that came before us, you know, that uh, the ongoing nature of, of, of community and the, what has brought us here in nature, but also in, in human community. Yeah, absolutely. He reminds us, I think, with those lines of all we owe to the ancestors who created the community in which we now live and of our responsibility to maintain that community, to nurture it, to hand it on to the next generation. Um, and I, at, at my age of 81, nearly so, another thing that comes to me is those names that rest on graves, which is where all of our names will rest eventually. And, and uh, the sense of gratitude that that arouses in me for the gifts of life. Um, I, I can't, I think daily of the fact that at age 81, I'm one of the lucky ones to have made it this far. And my eyes are newly opened with uh, older age 
um, to how precious life is and to how a sunrise and a sunset these days uh, can evoke more gratitude in me than the kind of professional success that I may have had in my 40s from time to time. It's, it's a remarkable, uh, for me, it's a remarkable place to be in life of sort of nonstop gratitude. And then he goes on, you know, he, he acknowledges the ancestors and acknowledges that, um, the gratitude of that. And then he talks about the persimmon seed where you also find the tree, something that stands in promise. So he's talking about the harvest and abundance and the ancestors and then the promise of what is to come. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. That tree that lies in the seed of the persimmon. It's, it's really beautiful how in those few lines he, he kind of shapes this, this world of, of, of fullness, of, of now uh, and before and what is to come. Yeah, absolutely. The potentiality that's in a persimmon seed to become this kind of amazing tree, just as the old saw has it about the acorn and the oak, uh, that these immense potentialities lie within the stuff of nature itself, and those but same potentialities lie within us. He, he says yes. we find we find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. So it's there in promise. It's pale. It's not fully blossomed by a long shot. It has a ways to go, and it seems to me our own lives are like this. Um, including life in the in the elder years, where if you if you are able to stay engaged and stay awake and stay open, there's more to come. Uh, there's always uh, yeah. the possibility of tomorrow, and if if a person can can hang on to that, can can affirm that, can try to live into that, um, life goes on in a wonderful, wonderful way, despite limitations, you know, dis- despite um, our own uh, our own finitude. And he does talk about the finitude. I mean, th- th- that whole next section, then he addresses the geese appear high over us, pass and the sky closes. Mm-hmm. This, this idea that this, that beautiful V of geese, um, you know, uh, it's there and then it's gone. You know, abandoned as in love or sleep holds them to their way. You know, it, it's it's a sense of fleetingness, of the mm-hmm. movement of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a beautiful, just a beautiful phrase and image there to kind yeah, of lead out is. of that abundance. It is. And, you know, what strikes me, Carrie, as I hear you say that is that um, when you're out walking or even driving and you hear the sound of geese flying over and you you're able to catch a glimpse of that, of that V cutting um, a swath through the air, it, you'll never forget it, even though it's, it's transient, it's momentary, and the sky closes over it. They, they disappear into the cloud cover or whatever. But it's a memory that stays with you, and it, it impacts your heart. You know, it's kind of engraved upon your heart for, for a while at least. That happened to me in a really big way once. I was, okay, I was actually driving to a show in, I think it was in Des Moines, Iowa. And I was late. I'd gotten in late. I was 
I was trying to get there, and and my mind was kind of racing a little bit, and uh, I was in my little rental car, and I got to the stoplight, and took a deep breath, and 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 I looked up, and there, almost right above the car, they must have been just taking off or something, was this perfect V, a beautiful geese. So close, you could see the, um, you know, you could see their feet. You could see the the feathers on their bellies. I mean, it was just like amazing. Mm. They were right there. And Mm. they were so beautiful. And I thought, I almost missed it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that I was so uh, concerned in where I was going and where I needed to be and that I was late, that I I almost didn't look up. And, Mm -hmm. but in that moment I did, and it was like, ah, yes, there it is. Mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. where it happens mm-hmm. um, beautiful beautiful n- not in the yeah. next place i have to be or the last thing i was thinking in my mind that's where it happened in that v of perfect geese so yeah. so yeah so when i actually when i read this poem i always think of that moment like ah there they were yeah, that's interesting you, you've never told me that story before despite the number of times we've explored this poem in different in different settings it's a beautiful story and it you know, it reminds me, I think, of what Barry is calling us to here in the in the poem, in the whole poem, and in the in the few lines left to come. He's saying, you know, trust and 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 look, and be observant. Mm-hmm. Don't try not yes. to miss, try not to miss what's here in in this moment, which, as you say, we always miss when our eyes are on something down the road, and our anxiety level raises to the rises to the place where this next line is hardly possible the line that i have in mind is this he says abandon as in love or sleep holds them the geese to their way clear in the ancient faith what we need is here and i remember when i first read those lines and even reading them right now the way he links abandon to to love or sleep is yes. quite beautiful yeah, because when we fall asleep um, we abandon ourselves in trust to to the notion that this darkness and closing our eyes in this darkness is okay and and we trust that we will wake up um, yeah. and that no ill will befall us during the night there's a lot of prayers are around that theme and the same with love, to love another person, you know, whether that's married love or couple love of, of any sort or friendship love, um, is, is, to, is to invest yourself in another in a totally trusting way, which is really what he's calling us to do with, with life itself. Clear in the ancient faith what we need is here yeah that that ancient faith you know that if this is an old trust you know the the old trust that we will close our eyes and go to sleep and wake up in the morning the old trust that to love you know you know if you love eventually your heart will be broken but ah to love and Mm -hmm. we keep loving again and again um the ancient faith that uh, in in the goodness of these things and the um so I, I really love that phrase too. That that was a phrase that really struck me the first time I heard this poem. But what's, then he kind of what's the old line? It is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. 
for precisely this reason. You know, give yourself yeah. the experience of abandoning yourself into some sort of love. Yeah, and, and this idea of abandoning yourself into all kinds of love, you know. Then, you know, then he goes on to, to kind of close this in this, this mm-hmm. beautiful way that he talks about, we pray not for a new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and an eye clear. That, that you know, this idea of what we need is here. It's like all these things he's already listed, you know, the abundance of nature, the, the wheels of the natural world, the ancestors and what's come before, the persimmon seed and what's come, you know, what is yet to come, the abandonment to love, you know, the, the momentary wonder of the geese that, that fly above and then, and then beyond. You know, all these things are here. We don't need a new heaven and we don't need a new earth. It's right here if we're paying attention and if we're embracing it. And I really love how he's in, to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. Right. You know, what About we need vision. is here. Yeah, I, I love that too. And it's, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's on our, it's directly on our theme because so often we pray, put quotes around that word. It means different things to different people. Yeah. Um, we pray for something outside of ourselves or outside of our own experience to come onto the scene and give us what we need. You know, we pray for more money or we, we, teachers pray for better students or, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever the, you're, I, I, I wish I had the gifts that other people have. Um, I, I wish for this, I wish for that. But he's saying, if I'm, if I'm quiet in heart and an eye clear, there's no need to pray for new earth or new heaven because what we need is here. And I think the question that the that has been so fruitful for me, and I think for you in this in the work we do, is okay. Then where is it? Where is it in the context of of our own lives um, that if it's not if we're not walking across a field or taking a horseback ride across a field and you know looking at the natural world in all of the ways that. A Wendell Berry does himself a farmer as well as a poet, novelist, and essayist. Where, where is what we need? And I think I think we've come up with a pretty simple, but in my experience, pretty true answer to that question. It's within us, and it's between us. Yeah. It's it's in the powers of the human heart, which have always been primary drivers in human history. It, it annoys me profoundly that you can take course after course about the history of the human experience and never find a whole section of a book or a whole section of a course devoted to the powers of the human heart. Yeah, yes. It's, it's Isn't always, that interesting? Yeah, it's always about armies or money or uh, you know institutional power. But it's rarely about the thing that has really driven us, um, the human heart, the human spirit, the human soul, for better or for worse. And it's not only within us, but it's in it's between us. It's in people coming together in relationship, in community, um, and banding together in some sort of common cause, again, for better or for worse. Uh, we can point, we can certainly point to the shadow side of the human heart and 
regret all the evil that's come out of it, but we can also point to the light in the human heart and and celebrate the goodness that's come out of it. And similarly, with the power of community, of banding together around common cause. What is the common cause? Is it to honor human dignity or is it to destroy? Um, big, so big questions. And yet, what we need is here if we start looking within us and between us. Yes. And do you have a particular story you know, that would have to do with this idea of what we need is here? Because I, th- I think you, you can take that idea as you just have personally, or you can take it in terms of community. But, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a particular story that, that really illustrates this idea? Well, the truth be told, I, I guess I have so many that it, um, I have to think fast to decide which, which one to settle on. Um, mm-hmm. But let me just, I'll just mention two things. One is that part of my life story is that I spent 11 years of my life living in an intentional community, a Quaker community called Pendle Hill near Philadelphia. And for 11 years of my life, from uh, uh, my mid-30s to my mid-40s, I had this experience of living with 80 other people and of sharing everything. Uh, We all got the same salary for working there, whether you you were 40 years old with a PhD as serving as dean of studies, which I was, uh, or an 18-year-old who came to work in the kitchen or the garden because she didn't know what to do with the next steps in her life. We all got the same amount of money, and it was a great leveler. Um, And I learned the abundance in scarcity, because since we couldn't buy everything we wanted or needed, we, we had to share what we had. And there was a huge abundance in that. More of a sense of abundance, really, than I find in a suburban neighborhood Mm, where everybody is making middle or upper middle class salaries and having to depend completely upon themselves. I mean, I grew up in a very affluent suburb of Chicago and was constantly struck, even as a teenager, by the fact that these people who had so much always felt like they needed more. Mm. Uh, but in my yeah. 11 years at Pendle Hill, because I was in community, because I was embedded in creative, generative relationships, this between us stuff, yeah. um, I never, I had a sense of abundance. And I knew that in my hour of need, people would be there for me. And that's, that's real abundance. And the reason I knew that was that when other people in that community had an hour of need, I was there for them, along yeah. with a lot of other folks. It's it's this yeah. gift exchange at this most basic level of human life. And it, 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 it was one of the most important passages of my life, that decade plus of realizing that in a, in a community that a lot of people would regard as somehow deprived, um, there was actually a sense of abundance that exceeds anything I had ever known or have have known since. And and then I can talk, Carrie, about one particular feature of that. And I, of course, welcome any sort of inquiry into these stories that, that you'd like to make. But it was during my time at Pendle Hill that I experienced 
uh, a deep dive into clinical depression, which I've written about and spoken about because I deeply feel that this needs to be a, a topic for open discussion and not a source of shame. I'm not in the least ashamed of it. It's part of the human condition. And I, I profoundly and passionately believe that we need to support each other around the shadow side experiences of life so that people don't feel isolated as if this, I'm the only person on the planet that this is happening to, which really doubles down on the grief and the burden. So I've, I've survived several depressions, uh, several deep dives into clinical depression. And at each, on each experience, in each experience, I'll just focus on the one at Pendle Hill, it was helpful to have certain outside resources. I had a therapist and I had some medications yeah. for a year or so. Yeah. And I'm grateful for all of that. But there was a man in this community who did an amazingly simple thing for me that any human being could do for any other human being. And that was that knowing that I was in deep and desperate isolation, which is a core element of depression, and in deep and desperate need. He came to my house every afternoon about four o'clock, did this with my permission. Um, he, I sat down in, a, in an easy chair in, in our living room, and for about half an hour, a man named Bill Tabor massaged my feet. Mm. Um, he, huh. he, it, it was an astonishing thing. He somehow mm -hmm. intuitively found the only place in my body where, where uh, a feeling of connectedness remained. Um, the isolation of depression is, is terrifying. You, you feel like you're living on another planet. You're no longer connected to the human race. And the truth of the matter is that the people who approach you are sort of hit and run helpers because Mm -hmm. I came to understand they're afraid of you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's as if con depression were contagious, and if they hung out with you too long, they'd catch it too. And I understand that, because it's hard to see another person suffering that way. You don't get the normal responses that we get when we try to help people. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So Bill Tabor, by just being present to me every every day, for that half hour, um, rarely saying a word, except maybe, I feel your struggle today, or I feel you getting stronger today. Simply rubbing my feet allowed me to feel connected to the human race in a way that I think was more um, critical to saving my life than even the psychiatrist or the medication. Um. And, yeah. and I, I learned an indelible lesson there. I learned, you know, I didn't, I'm not saying reject outside help. That's not the point. I'm saying don't ever forget that the gifts we have to give each other as human beings have extraordinary power. Yes. And, and, and we live in a yeah. culture that, that, dis, that, that ignores that power, that neglects that power, that wants to professionalize everything. Yes. And and while some things need to be professionalized, there we we never ever want to forget the encouragement, support, nurture, and 
even salvation that we have to offer each other. So those are, those are some of my experiences in what we need is here. They're pretty powerful experiences. And when I first read this Wendell Berry poem, I simply said, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, those are really powerful stories, Parker. I I mean, you know, both of them in in very different ways this this idea of of community really experiencing for 11 years, like you said, the great leveler and mm-hmm. and that in in a situation where uh, our culture might say was deprived, you felt such incredible abundance. Mm-hmm. Um a colleague and friend in common, uh, Courtney Martin, has a beautiful book called The New Better Off, yes. where she talks a lot about this reframing of what it means to live in abundance. And then this idea of not um, uh, taking lightly the gifts that we have to give to one another, that this this wonderful man, he knew it could have he could have very easily said, "Oh, it's just a small thing or what I'm intuiting maybe I'm wrong, but he didn't he he came and he's he he made contact and and you remember it to this day mm powerfully yeah and and that I think that's really important i I've done this experience with people before where we talk about kindnesses that we remember to this day. If you just think back and think about. Something that happened to you, a kindness that someone extended to you, and it could be a small one or it could be a large one, um, but a kindness that you remember to this day, like mm-hmm. like Bill Tabor and how he would come and visit you each day. All of us have those. Um, mm-hmm. And the person who extended that kindness may or may not even remember or know mm-hmm. that it affected you that way. Mm-hmm. But it's a story you carry with you, and it sustains you in certain kinds of ways. You know, I have those. I have those stories mm-hmm. where, yes, that's what we are capable as human beings. That our default, I think, I think our default is kindness. That we expect mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. something in us longs for it and expects it, uh, and people are quite capable, and mm-hmm. will surprise you again and again. Um, uh, I, I love to tell the story about my grandmother. When I was about five years old, my grandmother, um, she loved flowers and she had planted flowers all around her house. And I went, I was I was little and I went there with my mother. I remember it was springtime and she was in, my mother was in the house talking to my grandmother and I, I thought, well, I would, I would pick her a bouquet, which would be lovely. I would give my grandmother these flowers. So I just remember my mother's like horrified face when I walked in and I'm carrying like all her, you know, all her spring flowers, bulbs and all, you know. And, <laughs> from and, the front uh, yard or? From, you know, from yeah. around the house, you know, all yeah. over the place. And my grandma, you know, here it is. There's my mother. Here's, here's this little kid with, with a handful of flowers for her <laughs> grandmother with the bulbs. And my grandmother, bless her heart, you know, without skipping a beat, she said, Carrie, what a beautiful bouquet. And now, <laughs> and then she said, and now I will teach you how to plant bulbs. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, and, wow. And I remember that. That's a very mm-hmm. early memory for me. And she taught me how to plant bulbs. Um, mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. didn't shame me or get angry at me. And I, now I don't see a, um, a bouquet of cut flowers on the table or I don't. You know, I I like to garden, and 
I never put my fingers in the ground that I don't think of her mm-hmm. and think what an incredible gift that was to me um, mm-hmm. to just acknowledge my good intentions, mm-hmm. even when they mm-hmm. went a little sideways. Um, yes. Yes. And, and and acknowledge them with love, and then to do something with that love, yeah, you know, yeah, in a really yeah. interesting way. So, I guess if I'm talking, you know, when I when I go to this idea of what we need is here, one of the things I think of is this idea of stories, these mm-hmm. stories that we carry with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think anyone who is listening to this podcast, if you say, "Oh, think about it," just think think about a kindness that you remember to this day. You know, mm-hmm. and that you hold close, and you, and something will come up, and you'll remember that kindness. You yeah, know, we all we all have them. You know. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love I love that story, Carrie. You, you know, uh, your story and my story. It suddenly occurs to me, and this is a new insight. Remind me very much of what Wendell Berry has to say here about the persimmon seed, where the tree stands in promise, hmm. pale in the seeds marrow. So your grandmother knew, she had an instinct that within you, the, the little, young, Carrie newcomer, there was a potentiality for kindness that she could evoke. Yeah. And, and she did. Uh, n- that wasn't the only thing that happened in your life that made you the fundamentally and thoroughly kind and generous person you are. But it was an early thing. It was, it was a perception of something that you saw in yourself, and that maybe—and I, I mean no, no, uh, no harm by saying this—that I understand why your mother was horrified. But that maybe your mother, in that very moment, wasn't so able to see. Like you know, she may have seen more the bad Carrie who rips flowers out of Grandma's yard. Than, yeah, the, right. than the good, than the good Carrie, who would become a kind person who plants flowers in many literal and metaphorical ways for the rest of her life. So she saw something in you that you were too young to be able to see in yourself, and she teased it out more. She evoked it by modeling the gift and leaving you with a story that you will never forget, and that is part of that of what constitutes who you are today. In my case, if it hadn't been for Bill Tabor and the massaging of my feet, um, which reminds many people, since I've written about this and talked about this, I know that it reminds many people of the foot washings uh, in the the Christian Mm -hmm. scriptures. If If it hadn't been for him, who saw something in me, who saw a potential for life in me that I couldn't see yeah. in myself, who's, yeah. who saw a future for me that I didn't think I had, um, because every day I was asking myself, is this the day, you know, um, because life was so miserable. If it hadn't been for him, it might well be that my only memory of that six or eight month period, six month period in my life would be sheer horror. It, it would it, it, the yeah. horror, the the memory would be a horror movie that I'd keep rerunning in my head, but Bill's simple act of kindness, which cost him half an hour a day for mm-hmm. several months, yeah. leaves me with that memory of one human being 
supporting another on this enormously difficult journey in the simplest and most elemental way. You know, Bill came into that with no sense that he had to save my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He simply came into it with a sense, I want to be present to Parker in his suffering. Uh, I'm not afraid of him, as I later came to understand so many people were, who would pop in with a word of encouragement and then pop right back out, leaving me feeling lonelier than than ever. Uh, but he, he was present to me in the simplest way that another person can be present to another, although this, this goes a little beyond simple because one man rubbing another man's feet, that's not a, an image in this yeah. culture that leaps to your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's countercultural, yeah. and some people might regard it as a little weird. That's because they've never been there. And yeah. I, yeah. I urge them to just try going there in support of some other person and find out not only is that not a weird thing to do, that's an extraordinarily generous, powerful, and salvific human gesture to extend to another person. We have to get over our squeamishness yeah. about what, what it means to truly support through witness, not just through the application of professional techniques and nostrums yeah. and medications and processes, but through our simple human presence, the things we can do with our own hands, with our own voices, with our own eyes, with our own love. And I and I think, too, this idea of trusting that, you know, Bill trusted this instinct he had, and he went ahead and did something, like I said, that, you know, might have looked a little odd to some people, but it was exactly what you needed. Right. And, and he trusted his instincts on that, he, his intuition on that. And I think sometimes, you know, that's some... Uh, 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 a task for myself or um, an encouragement to me because sometimes I'll have an intuition and then I won't act upon it because, oh, what if it's taken right. wrong or what if it looks weird, you know. But uh, but every time I do follow my intuition, I think this person needs flowers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and bring the flowers. Or mm. I think... You know, what, whatever that intuition is at the moment, I, I, I think right now, I, I think I need to put my hand on their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe ask permission, but then do it, you mm-hmm. know, to trust, you know, to trust my intuition. So, yeah. um, uh, and I, I think that's a really powerful story for, for what Bill did for you, but also what Bill did for us is in terms mm-hmm. of a model. So, yes, right. So and as that, you said earlier, yeah. the, the, that gift passes along as we tell the stories, just like your story of your grandmother. Yeah. Um, and I know we're probably at the point where we have to start wrapping this up. Mm-hmm. But be, before we go there or start there, there's another line in the poem that really supports, and I now understand this line in a new way, it supports the stories the story of Bill Tabor, for me anyway, and that's the line that says about the geese who are uh, following this unmarked path in the sky without any GPS (laughs) or Uh compass and flying through clouds and dark and long distances to get there. Wendell Berry says, abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith, what we need is here. Well, Bill Tabor's act was an act of abandonment. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he abandoned, he let go of social norms. He let yeah, go he of any, any sense that maybe someone's going to think this is weird. He abandoned himself to, to, to his own feelings of love and, and care and concern for me. He, I, I'm thinking of moments in my own life where I wish I had picked up the phone and called that person yeah. The way I had had that I thought I might do before they died, um, you know, when I still had a chance to say how much I loved them or how much they meant to me. Um, so many places where we don't abandon ourselves, we hold back. Yeah. And so that line in the poem becomes especially instructive to me. And your grandmother abandoned the social norm that says. Little kids shouldn't pull flowers out of people's yards. You know? <laughs> people's yards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and she just said, God bless you, Carrie. What a beautiful bouquet. And now, and this beautiful turn, and now I'm going to teach you, teach you how, how to, to plant, plant bulbs. bulbs. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and there was a great sense of humor in that, too, actually. There's something yes. pretty, uh, a lovely sense of humor in that. And, uh, and yeah, that, that idea you know, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith. Something about Bill Tabor. Um, I'm not sure if he was Quaker. There's, there's, because it was a Quaker community there. But um, there's a, there's a really powerful phrase that the, the Quakers in Quaker community, uh, people will say. And when someone um, is going through a difficult time or uh, needs some help in some sort of way or support, uh, the phrase is, uh, "I will hold you in the light." Yes. And it and it's not just a pretty phrase. You know, and mm-hmm. I, that's something I really love about it that it's not just a pretty phrase even though it's a very poetic and lovely phrase. I will hold you in the light. It's like how um powerful it is to to kind of hold a person in that kind of care in mm-hmm. in the care of of love, in the care of community, in the care of your you know, your heart it's, you know, I, I think of Bill and I think, yes, in a very, very uh, practical and true way, he was holding you in the light. Until he absolutely you could, was. Until you could find your way, because you were in a dark place at that moment, and and he was very much holding you in the light. And Yeah, um, yeah. And every, every one of those occasions that I've described were filled with light for just a moment. You know, I could see light in, light in the darkness. But and it took me that. from it took me from day to day, and we do that for each other. We can we hold do. each other in the light, and we do. And so I think I know we're coming to the close of our podcast now. But um, I'm so glad we decided to explore this poem today and this idea of of what we need is here. Yeah, it's right here. Before we, we, we close today, I do want to make a quick mention. Uh, we have a couple new features on our website that you and I are both pretty excited about uh, at newcomerpalmer.com. It's, it's um, two features. Uh, one is uh, discussion guides and conversation starters that people can use with the podcast uh, and also something called Postcards from the Edge. Right. Postcards By Postcards from the Edge, we, we, we mean to offer everyone an opportunity 
to respond to our podcasts in writing with a brief one to four paragraph uh, statement of some sort, maybe a poem. Yeah. Um, we'll review them and uh, post some of them that seem to have general interest for our audience. We know we have a very thoughtful and reflective audience, and we'd love to give you a voice on our site um, to be in conversation with us and with each other. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And now we've got a favor to ask. If you liked today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer, and much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and welcome to her brand new baby girl, Evelyn. Three cheers. <laughs>